The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about the week ahead in stocks. My guest is Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison. Stocks are mixed on Wall Street with the Dow down and the NASDAQ composite up. Investors are worried about the possibility of war in the Ukraine and the probability of higher interest rates here at home. Ben, welcome. Hi, Lauren. Glad you could join me today. I hope your team won the big game last night. Um, I, as you know, I'm from Denver, and that means I'm a big Von Miller fan. He was traded to the Rams, so I'm glad to see that that worked out for him. Good. Congratulations. So let's start with Team Fed today. Inflation is at a 40-year high, as we learned last week. And the question isn't if the Fed will start raising rates or even when it will start raising rates. People assume that is happening in March. But by how much? What what are we going to get? A 25 basis point increase, a 50 basis point liftoff? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What do you sense? Um, you know, right now it feels like the market is leaning towards a, a half point increase. Um, that can change, but uh, it, it really does feel like uh, the Fed needs to start things off with a little more of a, a bang than it might otherwise. Uh, this really is not um, the same kind of economic environment uh, that we had when the Fed started uh, raising rates uh, during the last cycle, um, where you know growth was was much slower, inflation was uh, much lower. Um, and so I, I, I think the market is readying itself for that that half point increase. So we often say the market is pricing in this or that. It's pricing in 25 basis points. It's pricing in 50 basis points. How do you know what the market is pricing in? Where do you get that information? I think people would be interested in knowing. Yeah, there, there are lots of ways. I shouldn't say lots, but there are there are a number of ways to do it. Um, the easiest way for someone who doesn't have access to a Bloomberg terminal is to go to a website called uh, CME uh, FedWatch tool. Um, it, it's it's actually it's a really long um, uh, URL uh, CMEGroup.com trading. Actually, I could probably put it into the chat here. Um, oh, it'd be great. Thank Let you. me do that. So it's the, this is the website, and it allows you to look at what the Fed funds futures market is pricing in. And so here it goes right to the March meeting, and it's showing us that there's really a two-thirds chance of a 50 uh, basis point rate hike uh, coming at the next meeting. So the market is really... They, they, it is taking this seriously. Um, you know, it started off as something that was sort of just sounded like it was thrown out as, yeah, you know, we could kind of thing. And now it looks like something that has, a, a, you know, better than a coin flips chance of happening. Although, as you know, it can change. And that it can. I mean, what's what's fascinating to me is just watching this from day to day um, before Friday. So on Thursday, um, it, it was actually up in the 90 percent uh, range. And uh, then uh, people started worrying about Russia again. Um, and as, as soon as that happened, it actually dropped below 50%. Um, but over the weekend, it's uh, stabilized a bit and it's back around this two thirds chance. Um, and, and that's the thing is that it really can go 
um, it, it can go either way um, here. I don't think there's any way that we can really know, but it does, that uncertainty means that we have to be open to the fact that it, it really could happen. In some ways, I do like, um, you know, I, I prefer in some ways the days where the Fed didn't try to give us so much information about what it plans to do, um, partially because the markets are usually so chaotic and unpredictable that you, you really can't, you, you give too much information, people start planning for it, and then all of a sudden you have to have to backtrack. Um, I think it undermines credibility. In some ways, I prefer the days where, uh, I think I've said this before, where you just watch the briefcase. If it was a, a fat briefcase, you know, uh-oh, here comes a Fed rate hike. Uh, <laughs> if it was skinny, you, you, you were comfortable. But there are other ways of looking at it. You look for market signals. You look for how the, the Fed's, uh, the, the, the Fed's uh, trading desk, uh, what it was doing. There are people who that, that's their job, what their job was. Um, and I think in some ways, leaving the market guessing might be a better thing or just leave the market to interpret the data than uh, insisting that the, that the market know what the, how the Fed is interpreting the data. Well, Ben, I think those days are over. For one thing, you can't see the briefcase when everyone works at home. That is true. And for another, the Fed is now into this um, much more predictive style, and it seems unlikely that it's going to go back to a keep the markets guessing mode. Yeah, I know. It makes me kind of sad. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's not mourn for things past. Let's talk about the 10-year Treasury. It's yielding about 2% today, and a two-handle is a pretty big deal considering how low yields have been over the past two years. What's the near-term outlook for the 10-year? Do you see it going much above 2%? Do you think it'll recede a bit? Um, what, what are the factors that will determine this? I mean, I think the, the factors are really going to be um, a couple of things. It's um, what is the Fed going to do and how is the economic data coming out? Um, the, the, the fear here, of course, is that, the, the, uh, that we have inflation running hot and that we have an economy that is also running hot. So if you slow down the economy, and then inflation should slow down with it. That's how it's supposed to work. I, I think the fear, though, is that maybe the economy isn't running that hot, that all these inflationary things are caused by the bottlenecks, uh, by the supply chain issues. Um, and that at some point, you know, you have the Fed rushing to, to tighten monetary policy, um, but then the growth doesn't come in and you and you do end up um, tightening, uh, tightening too much and, and you make a mistake. Um, so I think that's the, uh, the, the big fear, uh, right now. Um, but I, I, so I think as, I think the direction though, right now is up, it's higher. I mean, we've, uh, we've seen it, uh, get to the highest level in a couple of years now. And, um, the, the trend is up. And as long as the economic data can support that, I think you'll, you'll see the two year continue to rise. Which is a little alarming for investors in stocks. Yes, it is. I mean, we're, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in the yield curve. Um, the, 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 the stock market has many things that keep it moving um, around, you know, it, it goes and it depends on your time frame, what you want to look at. If you're a trader, um, if you're a day trader, um, which I was many, many years ago, you really don't care about anything except what the stock is doing today. If you're trying to trade a little more um, around positions and holding them overnight and whatnot, you might want to care just about the trend. That's what you know trend followers like uh, CTAs do. Um, and, and if you're an investor, you just want to be buying stocks as long as the economy is still growing. Um, you're going to have um, a lot of volatility. Um, but as long as there's a recession, the general direction of the market should be higher. 
Um, but that's why I'm, I'm always watching this yield curve, because once the yield curve inverts, you know that a recession is coming. We don't know why. Um, I, I still think that it's uh, it's kind of amazing, actually, that we got the inversion before um, the uh, the recession in 2020. Um, and people say, well, how could it predict a, uh, a pandemic? And the yield curve can't predict a pandemic. But what it signals is a certain fragility in the market that will uh, that can that's something that could otherwise be sort of shrugged off uh, can actually sink the economy. And in this case, we got a very big something. Um, so I'm, I'm always watching that. And, and right now I'm watching the you know, I usually watch the 210. Um, it's the one that is, in, in some ways, it's just the, the easiest to follow. It uh, has history, history to back it up. Um, I just want to interrupt and say what yeah. you're talking about is fo is following the difference between the two-year Treasury yield and the ten-year Treasury yield. That that's right. Sorry, I, I fall back into my jargon on this a lot of the time. Yes, but that's what you mean by following the two ten. Right. And I'm, I'm looking at the gap between the two. And, and you'll hear people say that, you know, oh, no, the, uh, the, the, the yield curve is flattening. That means that the gap between the two is getting smaller, um, that, so that the, the two-year is getting closer to the 10-year. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, um, there's a recession coming. I mean, economies, uh, they accelerate and they decelerate all the time. And it might impact how you want to play uh, positioning in terms of sectors and things. But in terms of the market, uh, you know, it, it should be OK. Um, it, it's when the two-year rate rises to the point where it's higher than the 10-year um, that you have the problem. Um, and, and so what we're seeing right now is um, you do have a, a rising 10 year. So today um, it's up to 2.014%. Um, That's up 0.064 uh, percentage points today, um, which is good. I mean, that's, that, that, that's going up. We haven't had the yields like this in a long time. And often rising yields mean a better, uh, the economy is getting better. But in this case, we also have the two-year rising. It's up to 1.613%. And that's an increase of 0.097 percentage points. So it's gone up 0.03 percentage points more than the 10-year. And that means the curve is flattening. And the more it flattens, the closer we get to an inversion. And the inversion is what we need to worry about. So what do you do when the yield curve is flattening from an investment perspective? What kinds of stocks do you buy? What do you stay away from? Yeah, I mean, usually you would want to buy stocks that are a little more defensive. Um, and uh, that have some secular growth behind them. Um, I, I think the problem that we have is that um, those, those secular growers, um, and we'll get to this a bit later, are not really where you want to be when uh, the Fed is going to be tightening uh, this much. Um, and so I think it, it does mean that you want to be a little more into uh, stocks that uh, can handle inflation. Um, so, you know, mining stocks have done well, oil stocks have done well, and you want to be in some defensive stocks. The staples have held up well as well. Um, and, and, and it's those kind of things that, that can do well um, in, in this kind of environment. That sounds good to me. So I want to hit on a few more broad topics before we move to this week's earnings news. I also want to remind listeners that we'll be taking questions at the end of the call. So please type them in for us. So, Ben, let's talk for a moment about Russia and Ukraine. War could break out at any time, we've been told. What does this mean for the market, and that is the stock market, and what does it mean for the energy market? We can see oil prices going steadily upward. What, um, what does it mean for both, really? 
Well, for on a short term basis, it, it can mean pain for the stock market. We saw that uh, on Friday where um, the market seemed to be getting its legs a little bit after uh, falling on um, on Thursday. And then the the, the Russia, uh, the, the uh, one U.S. Uh, spokesperson came out and used that any day comment right. and the market fell. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing you could expect to see in the lead up uh, to uh, an event like this is probably going to be. We saw it with uh when uh, the U.S. Uh, when sorry, <laughs> still fall back on the old habits of the Cold War. When when Russian um, invaded Crimea and annexed it, um, you know you had some volatility, but the market eventually um, worked through it and went higher. That's often what happens um, with these uh, kinds of things. Um, but it also means, but it also has a lot to do with the market environment that you're in. So 2014, the market was still doing pretty well, trending higher. So you end up with volatility, but it resolved itself higher. I, I think right now, um, you know, this is probably not a going to be a world shaking event. And so I'd guess that it gets worked out fairly quickly, whether it resolves higher, um, I think remains to be seen just because the market itself is dealing with so many other things, particularly the Fed and inflation, which I think matters a lot more uh, than just about anything else. The other wild card in this is, is the energy market. Um, the you know we, we have an inflation problem um and you know the economists love to take out oil and gas prices and food as well and just look at the core um but we have to buy gas you know we're, we're very misleading view of inflation to do that it, it really is i mean i know it those those things can be volatile but uh anyone who got a, an electrical bill from con ed uh this past month um knows how painful uh, a higher oil, higher energy prices can be. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people talking right now about $100 oil, $150 oil. And, and I think that could be an issue as well if it contributes to even higher inflation and um, forces the Fed to uh, make some decisions that might not otherwise. Um, so I think that's really where we need to watch is what happens with it. And then, of course, there are the, the long term impacts of it, where, um, you know, the more that the U.S. is forced to use sanctions um, to uh, um, to punish people, the more that uh, countries will look for other um, other ways to engage in finance, meaning not use the dollar, not be dependent on U.S. Uh, exports uh, or U.S. technology, um, and that will have its long-term ramifications. So we are not a political call or a geopolitical call, but it would be worth exploring one day what some of the other options are. Absolutely. Given that. So before we move into fourth quarter, um, or rather this week's earnings reports, I want to um, look at the broader picture on earnings. We're nearly through the fourth quarter reports. They've come with a lot of guidance about the outlook from here. How is Wall Street handicapping the earnings outlook for 22 and even 23 based on what we know now? It's actually holding up pretty well. Um, you know, uh, 22 is supposed to be at around 225. Um, these numbers are coming from RBC, 248 for 2023. Um, and, and the interesting part about that is that hasn't really changed much. That's based on kind of the market uh, analyst views of things and hasn't changed much um, throughout this uh, earnings season. Um, and, and it's actually up a little bit since earnings season started. Um so, so, so that's good. The, the fact that earnings are holding up right now, despite everything, is very good news. How um, do you balance higher earnings, higher interest rates? Don't they offset each other in some way? They very much do. And uh, we, we saw that play out um, over the weekend when Goldman Sachs uh, 
it lowered its uh, target for the S&P 500 to 4,900 from 5,100. And their reason had nothing to do with earnings. They kept their earnings forecast intact, um, but they said higher rates means lower valuations. And that really, uh, it really is that simple most of the time. Um, the uh, Just because of the math of the way that uh, people um, value stocks, you know, you have a higher discount rate when rates go up and that means that valuations will go lower. Um, and so I think that's partially what the market is wrestling with right now um, is that you can't, until you know what the discount rate is, it's hard to put a valuation on a stock. And right now we don't know what the discount rate is going to be. We don't know if, if uh, inflation is going to keep running at these levels for a short period of time or a longer period of time. We don't know how high the Fed is going to need to raise interest rates. And this all weighs on just the simple act of putting a company's earnings into a spreadsheet, putting in your uh, expected uh, discount rate and coming up with a valuation. Um, and that, when you have that uncertainty, it shows up in market volatility. I was about to say, no wonder the market is so volatile. <laughs> I mean, it's it's silly. We all love, I know I do, I love to put narratives around the market, but so often it's really just a question of math. Um, you know, if you can be comfortable with an earnings growth level, you can be comfortable with that discount rate, you know, you can work out. Uh, what um, you should pay for a start. Yep. And and then I think the uh, in some ways, the post-financial crisis with its slow growth um, kind of outlook and this very slow change to interest rates was you know, was, was great for the stock market in part because it was so, uh, it, I mean, there was no volatility to those numbers. And it so it translated into, it was very predictable. And so that translated into a very low volatility environment, except for around some big events. Um, but uh, and I think it's at some point, well, you know, people will probably end up missing that a bit. Right. Maybe those, already are. <laughs> those days are gone, unfortunately. So now let's get to the earnings we're going to hear about this week. We've got Deere reporting on Friday. I keep reading that Deere is considered the Tesla of tractors. That, so that certain, is. Yep, they've made a big push into, into software-based agriculture. Tell us a bit more about what to expect from Deere. Yeah, I mean, Deere is interesting because, you know, you can see people trying to push this narrative of it as a... Uh, um, as kind of uh, benefiting from from electric vehicles, from autonomous ve uh, autonomous vehicles, those kinds of things. When right now, what you're hoping is that it's just benefiting from the fact that um, crop prices have gone up a lot, may stay high, and that means that people who haven't bought new tractors and things uh, in the past few years may become running out and doing that. And you're seeing that from Deere's competitors. Um, Many of them, uh, I think it was Agco uh, um, had good numbers. Uh, I believe it was, uh, um, there, there were a couple of others that did as well. And um, that means that, uh, you know, that everyone is expecting deer to do, um, to do very well. Also, um, when I look at the stock, what I find fascinating is that um, it's really been trading kind of sideways for about the last year. And even with these great numbers, um, it's been a pretty tight range between, I'm going to call it, oh, let's say about 325 on the downside and maybe around, I think it's touched 400, but really the high has been around 390. But it had uh, a great run before that. Let's it had a great run before that. Absolutely. And now it's been just going sideways. And um, it, it's it's been trading here for the last, um, you know, last week or so at this uh, all-time high, um, but hasn't really broken out yet. And I think people are waiting to see from the earnings, 
Um, how much has been priced in already? Um, it, it, are, are these higher crop prices uh, and, and the boost they're going to get already reflected in the stock at this level? Or is the stock going to break higher from here and out of this range? And if it does break out of this range, um, I, I think there's quite a bit more upside here. I mean, I, I love finding stocks that have done nothing for a year and then pick a direction because those often will have a uh, nice trend once people feel confident that it's going one way or the other. I'll remind listeners that Deer was a pick in the Barron's Roundtable. Uh, Todd Alston of Parnassus loves the stock. He's recommended it several times. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very solid company. I, th- I believe Al Root, uh, our industrials writer, likes it as well. Um, it's just a, it, it's a pretty solid stock now, and it's not horribly expensive. Um, so it'll be pretty interesting to watch. But if it does uh, start to look like it's going to break out, um, then uh, it, th- that could be a good one to uh, think about uh, owning in the future. Good point. So let's move on to Walmart not having a very good year. No, Walmart's, uh, it's been kind of disappointing. It was uh, another one of those stocks that uh, after, you know, with the pandemic, it, uh, you know, a little crazy in there, but seemed to be a beneficiary. Um, But uh, has really just, uh, I think since really around October of uh, 2020. So we're going back quite a bit now. It's been very volatile up and down, um, but hasn't really been able to to get going anywhere. Right now, it does look like, um, the, the path of least resistance is, is lower. Um, its earnings are supposed to grow uh, to a buck 49 um, from a dollar 39 um, in, during the same quarter a year ago. Um, and a, a lot's going to depend on its ability to um, people be looking at its profit margins um, with prices going up everywhere. Um, is Walmart going to be able to maintain and even grow its profit margins? Um, and I think that's going to be tough. Um, and it also is going to depend on um, how comfortable the consumer is spending. Um, and so investors are going to be watching closely, much more closely, not this past quarter, but what Walmart says about uh, the, the the next quarter and the and the year ahead. Um, if it can, you know, if it feels comfortable about that, if it feels comfortable about maintaining its margins and growing, um, growing its, uh, um, sorry, growing, uh, growing its sales, it should be fine. But I think that's a, a, a big, um, it's a big question right now that if it'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I want to talk about NVIDIA, the chip maker, also having a very difficult year. Yeah, it really is. Um, <clears throat> it's, uh, I think NVIDIA is really just being hit largely because it's, uh, it's a high price growth stock. Um, you know, th- those kinds of companies are not doing well. NVIDIA at least is a, a, gr- a very quickly growing um, high price growth stock. And it's, and it's huge. Um, you know, it's bigger than uh, Facebook now. Um, and, and actually there's, uh, um, I, th- I believe it was Jeffries was saying that, that we should discard the fangs, um, that whole idea of it, and just buy, and they came up with a horrible acronym, but they call it MANG, which would be Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, and Google. Um, And, you know, it it really does deserve that that spot there. Um, The the problem is, though, it is still a high-priced growth stock, um, and it's going to really have to show that it can keep uh, growing its its earnings um, in a way that... uh, um, that, that, that deserves that valuation. Um, so th- there are some people, I mean, one of the reasons it's, it's had a tough time is it was trying to buy ARM, which is this chip designer. Um, and that was probably an overhang that's done now. They, uh, you know, 
they, that was blocked, they've dropped it. Um, so people are going to watch the business. They're going to look at the data center business. Um, and that produces market chips for people like um, Microsoft and Amazon. <clears throat> and it also is involved, it's, it's chips are used for Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, one of the worries there is that it's really the gaming chips that get used in, in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining. Um, and if people, if the follow in Bitcoin recently um, causes people to mine less, then are there going to be too many gaming chips and will that cause uh, uh, pricing pressures there? So there's, there's just a lot going on here. I think everybody kind of agrees that NVIDIA is sort of in a, in a great spot, but I think it has to work through these different, kind, these different issues as well as just what Fed policy is going to be. Sometimes I wonder if the stock is trading along with Bitcoin because of the connection. And, I think that's a, it's a possibility. And Bitcoin has had a rough go of it this year. Yeah, really has, though. I think in some ways, given Bitcoin's volatility, um, it's not as rough as it could have been. It's tested some really low levels, but has been able to hold back. them. Right. I mean, it's uh, every time you think uh, it's just Bitcoin's about to about to die, um, it finds a finds a bid at these at those levels down the low 30s. Um, you know, bounces back up into the 50s. Uh, so it's just a, it's a massive range, massively volatile. But uh, um, it is uh, at least hanging in there, I would guess I would put it. But I think you're right. There is uh, some, Bitcoin, uh, NVIDIA isn't exposed to Bitcoin in the way that, let's say, a micro strategy is. But it, it is there and it's probably uh, trading with it somewhat. Right. For those who don't distinguish all the other parts of the business, it, it sometimes is a proxy for that. So you mentioned NVIDIA is is a growth stock, an expensive growth stock. That moves me to my next topic, and then we'll take some listener questions. You identified a group of expensive growth stocks reporting this week. Roblox in the video game business, Roku, Palantir Technologies, and Shopify. And if we could go through them um, just a bit, explain what they have in common and what the outlook is for earnings and how you expect them to trade. Sure. Um, so what they have in common is the fact that they're expected to be very fast growing over a long period of time. So they aren't necessarily very profitable now, but the hope is that in 10 years time, they will be. Um, and but but I also like to think of them in, in a way as, you know, it's they're, they're very easy to push a narrative around. It's like, oh, yeah, this is going to do. Uh, I, I think we see this in Roblox very clearly where you read um, the, the optimistic notes about it and you see things like this. This is from Bank of America, which reinstated uh, Roblox at a buy today, uh, says the metaverse is now like social media at its dawn. Um, and that uh, Roblox is the only one that appears to have uh, a full-fledged metaverse product on the market. Um, <clears throat> and so you hear things like that, and then they go ahead, though, and throw things at you like, well, at 12 times EV to fiscal year 22 sales, it, it, that looks cheap to them. It says it doesn't reflect the leadership of the emerging category or software development ecosystem status. Um, this is all highfalutin stuff. I would um, say so. It's a lot of know, jargon there. It's a lot of jargon and it's not based on the things that a value investor um, would typically look at. Um, you know, it's based on hope for market share. It's based on metrics that, you know, most of us don't really pay attention to. Um, and in a market where rates are falling, um, where growth is uncertain, um, you might want to pay up for that, but it's 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 harder to pay up for it uh, in a market 
um, where, um, uh, sorry, in, in a market where, um, the, where, where rates are going up and, uh, and there's inflation and there's just a lot more uncertainty around things. And maybe you want your value, your, your cash flows to come early, not late. Um, and, and so I think uh, for all these stocks, uh, that's going to be something that they have to wrestle with and they have to show that at least these stories are on track in some way. Um, and so for Roblox, I, I do think it means to show show that it is actually there's a path to profitability, um, and um, the uh, and and th- that there, that this idea of it as a metaverse stock really uh, um, really plays out because right now, I mean, my son loves Roblox. I mean, he's he plays it all the time on his phone. But that's what I think of Roblox as right now. It's a it's it's a it's a site for uh, kids who like video games. Okay, not popular around here. <laughs> so I want to go to some listener questions, then we can get back to a couple of other topics. Um, Richard asks, what about bonds? If one depends on monthly income streams, what should one do now with the yield curve flattening? I think that's a good question. It is. And, and the problem is that it's a, it's a bear flattener, which means that uh, bond prices are falling because uh, prices uh, fall as yields and rates go up. Um, And um, so, so that's so that those yields are rising, but the prices are dropping. And, um, you know, usually in that kind of situation, you do want to lean short, but then you're not getting a a ton of income. And, and and that's hard. I I know that, um, you know, there are people who are turning to all kinds of other things, um, to try to uh, get income and, uh, you know, could be dividend paying stocks. There's lots of stocks out there that are paying a very, a very solid dividend um, and aren't horribly volatile, but you do have that equity risk. Um, there are others. Randy writes about this a lot. Um, Randy Forsyth in uh, Up and Down Wall Street uh, likes closed end funds. Um, and there are many out there that offer really big yields and trade under their net asset values. And that's another way to do it. But it does get complicated when you need bonds as bonds for income. I think at that point, you do need to get more creative. Um, the other reason to have bonds, of course, is as kind of ballast in um, in a portfolio when it's when, when, when it is risk on and uh, risk off. And I, and I mean that as uh, risk off, not as in inflation's coming, but, you know, it's more something geopolitical or it's recession or whatnot. Bonds should still uh, do well. Um, treasuries uh, should still do well, but that they're not going to provide you any income. And and I think that's been the hardest thing for any uh, fixed income investor is like, how do you get that safety and and the income? And you just it, there's just no easy way to do it. I think that's the bottom line, Richard. There's no easy way to do it. So Hal asks a question, which discount rate do equity analysts use in valuing stocks? Is it the Fed discount rate or the 10 year yield or something else? I think it depends. It's often the 10-year. Um, strategists uh, very often use the 10-year. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be uh, a shorter term rate, like a 30-day. Um, but I, I think for the most part, uh, it, it doesn't matter so much um, as long as that, you know, they're consistent in how they use it because um, the direction should be uh, similar most of the time with uh, most of the rates that you're choosing. Okay, Susan asks a question. Do you think um, growth stocks will come back sooner rather than later? Um, I 
I, I don't think we're going to see growth stocks come back the way that they were going um, before this period. Um, that is to say, there really was, I, I, I think, some um, some bubble-like behavior in the the highest in, in the fastest growing stocks, um, particularly the ones that had no profits, but where the expectations were were so high. And those stocks have gotten hit very, very hard. Um, which, and I'm not saying that they can't come back. I do think that the market is going to be more selective about the ones that get rewarded. And then, and, and that just this wholesale throwing money at these companies, um, like we had is just not going to happen again. So it, it won't be the same kind of, of feel that, that we've had for a while. Um, you know, there are going to be good stocks in there, um, but it, it just it, it won't be that same. Oh, let's buy everything and just uh, write it out, you know, the way the, the NASDAQ could outperform every other index so easily. I, I'm remembering the mangs, Ben. <laughs> Remind yes. us again what the mangs are. <laughs> Microsoft, uh, Apple, NVIDIA and Google. An example of four stocks that, that have earnings in the here and now. So Adora asks, is it still a good time to buy commodity or oil and gas ETFs? Um, let me start by saying, I think a lot depends on your time frame. Um, they've had an amazing run, which as a trader, you know, that, that trader in me that's always watching for what the next directional move is. Um, there, there's one firm called uh, Brini Associates who is always, when they're doing their market stuff, they're not putting year end targets and things like that because they're impossible. But they're trying to just say, is the next move going to, is the next 5% move up or down? Um, which is, I, I think, a, a, um, a good way to, to, to think about things. Um, and I totally forgot the question, Lauren. <laughs> oh, the question. I'm digressing <laughs> too much. <laughs> yes, at least, at least you're honest. Is it still a good time to buy commodity or oil and right, gas? Right. Yes. And, and so my worry is that we're going to see a, a near-term pullback in in oil and energy stocks uh, in particular, um, just because they've had such a great run. Over the long term, I look at energy and, you know, there are people who have pointed out that, you know, it's now 4% of the S&P 500, something along those lines. Um, could it get to 6%? Um, why not? Well, it's about two percent at, at the nader. Yeah, and so you know, if if you think that it can get to that, it has room to grow as part of the S and P five hundred. Then I do think there is a long term play to be made in energy stocks and other commodities. Okay. Thank you, Ben, for that. And I just want to go back and talk about one economic statistics that's coming out this week, the producer price index. We got the consumer price index last week. It was up 7.5% on an annualized basis. I believe that's a 40-year high. What will the PPI tell us about inflation? What is um, it, 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 it's expected to bounce back. It was uh, um, on a month-over-month -month basis. It, it rose... Um, 0.2% uh, in, um, I believe that was for, uh, um, I'm getting my dates all mixed up, but it's supposed to rise at 0.5%, 0, 0 um, which would be up from 0.2%. Um, and, you know, that's that's still not good. There's still really uh, no sense that uh, inflation is slowing down um, on a month over month basis, let alone on a year over year. Um, and, and that's a real problem, um, as we all know. I mean, it's, uh, there, there needs to be a sign that uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's not, that the pace is slowing. 
Because um, if, if there isn't, then it just means the Fed is going to have to be more aggressive. Um, so yeah, um, it, it's it's not going to be as big deal as the uh, CPI that we had already. Uh, we've had the CPI, which always moves markets more than the PPI anyway. And um, but I, I think it's going to be watched just for for signs that uh, you know often the producers have to pay more. If producers pay more, then they're going to have to charge consumers more, and so it can lead um, the CPI. Right. In um, some ways, it's a precursor to higher. That's higher. Exa- exactly right, and. So we need to watch it for that. And that's really, I mean, when it comes to the Fed, that's all that matters right now. True point, definitely. So Lee asks an, inqu- an interesting question, Ben. Does the level of the federal debt play any part in your thinking about the markets right now or in the medium or long term? As he notes, this factor isn't often mentioned by marketeers and strategists. Yeah, um, the uh, it usually doesn't matter um, for the markets, um, just because the way that the global financial system is set up, you know, people need dollars and the U.S. keeps issuing them. And for right now, uh, the debt um, doesn't matter. Um, there will come a point when it does. Um, I, I wish I could predict when that would be. Um, but, but we'll discuss it on Barron's Live whenever it happens. Yeah. And, and, and it's also one reason why, you know, you don't just want to you do want to have um, you want to diversify into other countries. Um, I, I know, that, you know, we've never had to worry, at least in my lifetime, I've never had to worry about our you know massive moves in our currency uh, up in an economy. Um, but you look at other countries and, you know, it's you're you're your currency could end up worthless. Uh, you look at Turkey. I mean, all of a sudden. I was thinking of Turkey for sure. You know, that you get a, a leader who doesn't care about monetary policy and all of a sudden you have a currency that can't buy you anything. Um, I, I don't think we're going to a, a time like that, but I think there will be a day when the United States has to be more careful with its debt. I just don't think it's there yet. And it is such a long-term thing. The market only, it, what people forget about the market is it only puts it only starts to price in what it thinks is it's it's not looking out 20 years so much in terms of the daily movements it's just trying to price in what it can price in um and something like that is so far in the future that there that it it isn't trying to price it in yet in fact i often hear strategists who bring it up dismiss it quickly as you effectively have done simply because it's not a problem now and it probably won't be a problem for at least 20 years, and then there may be a solution. Or maybe it won't be that long. Yeah, you know, we just don't know. Um, and, and that's that, that's the issue is that until it is a problem, you know, the worst thing you can do is say, okay, the, the stock market is, and, and we saw this, we saw many good uh, fund managers coming out of the uh, financial crisis say, this market is still too expensive, I'm not buying. And and then you miss massive rallies and th- there's as much danger in worrying about something in terms of purely just making money in the market, um, pr- starting to worry about something too early. Um, and it could be as dangerous as worrying about it too late. Journalists tend to do that, but we'll resist the urge today. <laughs> so Ben, I want to thank you. We have to call it a day for now. I want to thank you for your wonderful commentary and insights. It's always a pleasure. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in and thank you for your great questions. Please join us again tomorrow on Barron's Live when Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Sabitz, speaks with David Riederman, Managing Member and Portfolio Manager of Endurance Capital Partners. They'll be talking about the outlook for technology investing. So 
more about the fangs, the mangs, and other tech stocks. We hope you'll come back then. Till then, everyone, stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.